It's Moff Gideon. No. Moff Gideon was executed for war crimes. It's him. He knew my name. On December 27th, 2019, I joined those waiting with breathless anticipation for the finale of Disney's live-action Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. Sitting in the dark and riveted by every passing minute of the story, I waited to see what Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau had in store for us. I wanted to know what final images they would paint, what important cliffhanger-like details they would impart to us before the year-long wait for Season 2 began. The previous episode introduced a new villain, Moff Gideon. Clad in an elegant black armor and cape, his appearance resembled a cross between Darth Vader and a Death Trooper. Gideon wore no helmet, and his eyes maintained a steely, almost lifeless expression at times, which added to his cold intensity. Gideon's goal was to obtain the baby Yoda-like creature known as the Child. The Mandalorian's titular character, Din Djarin, sought to protect the Child, and he and his protagonist friends managed to escape Gideon's army, which had surrounded the building in which they were hiding. But they didn't escape Moff Gideon. As they fled, he pursued them in his modified TIE fighter, hoping to cut them off and to destroy them, finally capturing the little green force wielder. During a final battle in the sky, Din Djarin managed to destroy part of Gideon's TIE fighter in mid-flight. As he flew from the damaged TIE fighter using his jetpack, Din watched Gideon's ship spiral out of control and crash into the hills in the distance, leaving a splatter of dense smoke. As evil and as ruthless as he appeared to be, Gideon's fate seemed to be a quick one, among the ashes of the downed TIE fighter. And as the camera returned to the spot of the crash, zooming in on the burning shell of the winged cockpit, Something very strange happened, and something very familiar emerged. A burst of light in the shape of a sword's blade appeared through the cockpit's wall. It cut a large rectangular shape, burning a fiery orange line across the hull, before Gideon kicked this newly made panel open. He emerged, wild-eyed and calculating, and launched himself onto the top of the cockpit. Standing in the midst of the rising columns of smoke, and with his cape billowing behind him, Moff Gideon held a glowing weapon in his right hand. The tip of the blade was cut at an angle, and the blade itself was like an illuminated onyx stone. As the camera zoomed out, and while the music swelled to a sinewy tension, the screen went black. Involuntarily, as if it were a natural reaction, I jumped to my feet and pointed at the screen, shouting two crucial words. The Darksaber. How did a weapon from the Clone Wars find its way into the hands of Moff Gideon? This is a prize blade that has led generations through peace and into war. This is a look at its history, at the villains and heroes who have wielded it, and what it symbolizes in the Star Wars galaxy. This is an explanation of the Saber's path through shows like The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, and how it found its way into the latest live-action Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. This is the story of the Darksaber. 
And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Speak with me. I've got something to show you. What's this about? A lightsaber? Not just any lightsaber. It can't be. So you recognize it? That I do. It is the Dark Saber, a symbol for the leader of House Vizsla and later the group known as Death Watch. In Season 3 of the animated show Star Wars Rebels, Jedi protagonist Kanan Jarrus surprised Mandalorian warrior Fen Rao with an important discovery, the mythic Darksaber. After examining it, Fen Rao shared the history of the saber with Kanan. I didn't know Mandalorians developed a type of lightsaber. We didn't. This was one of a kind. Legend tells that it was created over a thousand years ago by Tar Vizsla, the first Mandalorian ever inducted into the Jedi Order. After his passing, the Jedi kept the saber in their temple. That was until members of House Vizsla snuck in and liberated it. They used the saber to unify the people and strike down those who would oppose them. One time, they ruled all of Mandalore wielding this blade. But before we delve into the origin of the Darksaber, let's get a better understanding of what it is by examining its appearance. It is technically a lightsaber, but it is unlike anything we're used to seeing. The hilt itself is black, with a series of thin silver lines wrapping around the lower section. The upper two-thirds of the hilt has silver vertical lines that bend and turn horizontal, forming corners just before reaching the lower section. The handle is a straight hilt, flanked by angled pommel at the bottom, and an angled handguard at its top. While most lightsaber hilts are cylindrical, this one is a reinforced trapezoidal body with a slit at the top, from which the thin, rectangular blade emits when ignited. The blade is rectangular in shape. At the tip, it is cut at an angle, similar to a sword. It is smaller than your typical saber in length and is powered by a kyber crystal, which gives it its force energy. The wielder's emotions power the current within the blade, and a heightened emotional state will produce an electrical effect around it. When comparing it to the rest of the sabers in the Star Wars canon, the most unique feature is its color. The actual blade is solid black and is outlined in white, like a glowing void. There has never been another lightsaber like it. 
The Origins of the Darksaber Now that we know what it is, where did it come from? As Fenrau told Kanan, the Darksaber was created by a man named Tar Vizsla a thousand years before the Rebels' story took place. Tar Vizsla was Force-sensitive, which means he had the ability to learn to sense and manipulate the Force. He was the first Mandalorian to be accepted into the Jedi Order as a child. Mandalorians are a clan-based group that originated on the planet of Mandalore. The Mandalorian clan is composed of many different species, but they share the same creed and code. With guidance and training, Jedi forge their sabers after going through a process in which they locate their kyber crystal through a connection with the Force. As the first Mandalorian in the Jedi Order, Tar Vizsla created his black-bladed saber, which was coined the Darksaber. As a Jedi, he became the Mandalore of his people, which was the title associated to the sole leader of the Mandalorians. After Tar Vizsla's death, the Darksaber was kept at the Jedi Temple until the fall of the Old Republic, in which Mandalorian members of the dissenting political group House Vizsla stole it in an attack against the Jedi. The Darksaber became the ultimate symbol of leadership among the Mandalorians, and over the next millennium, whoever possessed it ruled Mandalore. It was passed down from generation to generation, as if it were a tangible symbol of royalty. The ideals of the people of Mandalore evolved over the centuries, as the Mandalorians slowly shed their warrior ways and became a nation centered on peace. The Darksaber continued its tradition of being passed down to the next generation until it reached someone who yearned for Mandalore to return to its warrior ways. The Mandalorian Civil War At this point, a thousand years have passed since the Jedi Tar Vizsla first crafted the Darksaber. And now we are approaching the point in history known as the Clone Wars. Twenty years before the Clone Wars began, however, the Mandalorian Civil War erupted. So what is the Mandalorian Civil War? In a quest to establish the identity of the planet and its people, a peace movement in the form of a group called the New Mandalorians sought to create bonds and friendly relations with the inhabitants of planets from surrounding systems. Led by Duchess Satine Cries, the new Mandalorians aimed to rebuild Mandalore into a thriving cultural society. Opposing Satine's vision was a minority faction bent on continuing Mandalore's warmongering traditions and conquering other societies in order to extend Mandalore's reign and influence throughout the galaxy. And while the two groups fought for control of the planet during the Mandalorian Civil War, Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn and his apprentice Obi-Wan Kenobi protected Duchess Satine, who was pursued by the traditionalists. They acted as her bodyguards for a year and helped her to flee from the bounty hunters hired to kill her by leaving Mandalore and hiding out across the galaxy. It was also during this time that Obi-Wan and Satine fell in love. You may be asking yourself, what does that have to do with the Darksaber? but it's a crucial part of the story. Eventually, the new Mandalorian faction was able to defeat the war traditionalists, 
but the victory came at a high cost. The death toll from the war haunted Satine and pushed her to devote her life to achieving and maintaining peace on Mandalore. The remaining traditionalists fled the planet and headed to its nearest moon, Concordia. Once the war was over, Satine returned to Mandalore. Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi left the Duchess and departed to rejoin the Jedi Order. And while Obi-Wan and Satine were in love, the Jedi repressed his feelings for her due to his obligation to the Order. The new Mandalorians set to rebuild the war-torn planet over the next two decades leading up to what we now know as the Clone War. And it was believed that the traditionalist, warmongering movement died out on Concordia during this time. But that was not the case. The movement was not dying out. Instead, it was lurking in the shadows, being primed and ready for battle by the one who wielded the legendary Darksaber. Death Watch Out of the Civil War's ashes rose a movement on Concordia, so filled with vengeance, yet patiently waiting in the reeds and ready to strike. These survivors of the war called themselves Death Watch. The leaders behind Death Watch were a mystery, as were the group's intentions. After rumors that Death Watch had aligned with Count Dooku and the Separatists, and an attack on a rebel cruiser was tied to the Mandalorians, the Jedi Council sent Obi-Wan to Mandalore to investigate. After all these years, you're even more beautiful than ever. Kind words from a man who accuses me of treachery. I would never accuse you of personal wrongdoing, Duchess. However, a Separatist saboteur attacked one of our Republic cruisers. A Mandalorian saboteur. After many years apart, Obi-Wan and Satine were finally reunited. It's so good to see you again, Obi-Wan. Despite these circumstances. Your peaceful ways have paid off. Mandalore has prospered since the last time I was here. Not everyone on Mandalore believes that our commitment to peace is a sign of progress. There is a group that calls itself Death Watch. I imagine these are the renegades you're looking for. They idolize violence and the warrior ways of the past. There are those among us, certain officials, who are working to root out these criminals. It has been an ongoing investigation. How widespread is this Death Watch movement? It's hardly a movement. It's a small group of hooligans who choose to vandalize public places, nothing more. We shall soon have them in custody. We have tracked them down to our moon, Concordia. I hope you're right, Duchess. The two flew to the moon of Concordia to meet with its elected governor, Pre Vizsla, with whom the Duchess was working to uncover Death Watch's plan. Duchess Satine, you are most welcome. Thank you, Governor Vizsla. May I present Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, representing the Jedi Council. Governor Vizsla is one of the officials I spoke of. He has been working to find the members of the Death Watch. 
Over dinner later that evening, Satine asked Governor Vizsla why Death Watch would go after her. Someone is feeding misinformation directly to the Republic Senate, saying that the Death Watch is taking over Mandalore. Who stands to gain from these lies? Death Watch, of course. They could not engineer all this. The problem has clearly grown much larger than we thought. And I suspect some external force helped it along. Hard to believe. It would have to be someone at the highest level of influence among the Separatists. But why target me? You lead the Council of Neutral Systems. Thus you threaten the Separatist goals. Take it as a compliment. Someone very powerful is working toward your downfall. Someone very powerful was working against her. In fact, it was the very person sitting across from her as they dined. For Pre Vizsla was more than the governor of Concordia. He was born into the line of House Vizsla, whose ancestors had passed down the Darksaber. He was its current owner, and he was the leader of the Death Watch. Mandalore Menace. That same evening, as Satine dined with the man who wanted to kill her and to destroy all she stood for, Obi-Wan explored the area near them for clues to Death Watch's operations. He stumbled into the enemy's camp, and after reuniting with Satine, Pre Vizsla revealed himself to them, clad in his dark gray Mandalorian armor with its royal blue trim and a teal-toned cape which was marked with the Death Watch symbol and hung over his right shoulder. He removed his helmet, which also displayed the three-pronged Death Watch symbol in yellow above the visor. Surrounded by his Mandalorian warriors, Pre Vizsla drew the Darksaber to fight Obi-Wan to the death. Governor? For generations, my ancestors fought proudly as warriors against the Jedi. Now, that woman tarnishes the very name Mandalorian. Defend her, if you will. This lightsaber was stolen from your Jedi temple by my ancestors during the fall of the Old Republic. Since then, many Jedi have died upon its blade. Prepare yourself to join them. While Obi-Wan and Satine were able to escape, the battle was left unfinished. But Pre Vizsla had openly declared war on the Duchess and Mandalore's peaceful regime. For Star Wars fans, that Clone Wars episode was our introduction to the Darksaber. And to not only see it, but to see it in action, in stark contrast to Obi-Wan's traditional lightsaber, was certainly memorable. And as the episode ended, and Pre Vizsla vowed to catch up with the Duchess soon enough, the Darksaber took its place among iconic lightsabers used by Star Wars villains, like Darth Vader's Red Saber, Darth Maul's double-bladed weapon, and Kylo Ren's fiery T-shaped hilt. 
And while the Darksaber predates Pre Vizsla by centuries in the Star Wars story, in reality, it was designed at the same time that Pre Vizsla was created to be a foil within the Clone Wars series in 2009. Here are lead designer Killian Plunkett and CG supervisor Joel Aaron on the decisions that led to the Darksaber. It was always intended for Pre Vizsla to carry some sort of edged sword-like weapon. That was part of the initial design from the get-go. George made us understand that a blade cannot go up against a lightsaber. And for that, it needed to not be made of steel, it needed to be made of light. So these are my artist concepts of what the Darksaber would look like. This right here, the last one, being the one that was chosen by George as how he wanted this to look. It's a challenging thing because to have a black lightsaber, you almost want it to be like a black hole where it is as black as can be, as darker black than any shadow in the frame, and then have the edge glow white. So that would be a challenging effect, especially while it's moving around and waving in it. Going through the phases of trying to get it to look like what we wanted, we went through several design concepts. What we ended up with is, of course, this black saber of light, which with the character Previsla just added to the intensity of this character. And just on the leading edge, we put a little bit of electricity as if it's charged. And that little bit of electricity is something I tried to carry through with all the effects on Mandalore, was that everything was harnessed but somewhat unstable. It wasn't as controlled and refined like a lightsaber was. Pre Vizsla. As I stated at the beginning of the episode, the Darksaber made an appearance in The Mandalorian. But there is also another interesting Clone Wars Mandalorian connection behind the Saber. In addition to creating the Mandalorian series, John Favreau is also its head writer, showrunner, and executive producer. But in 2009, he joined George Lucas and Dave Filoni in working on season two of The Clone Wars voicing the villainous Pre Vizsla. Hey, John, it's Dave. How you doing? I'm hearing on my Twitter, people are asking me if, uh, asking me about it. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty big deal because this cuts to the core of what the fans are interested in with these Mandalorians. It looks pretty cool. It's pretty much the Boba Fett helmet, huh? Pretty much, exactly. And it was a stroke of genius putting a helmet over me yeah. for all my lines. I think that was not, exactly not lost on me. Just one shot, yeah. <laughs> Favreau spoke about his role as Vizsla, and the excitement about exploring the world of the Mandalorians seemed to have set him on a path to create the live-action series a decade later. Vizsla is a Mandalorian separatist who reveals himself after presenting himself at first as an ambassador. I was invited in to watch the early footage from the Clone Wars. It was pretty mind-blowing, certainly for for a TV series, and and my kid uh, was pretty floored by it as well. I had mentioned that, you know, I would love to do a voice. I had done, I've done voices before. The idea for me to play a Mandalorian came up. I wasn't holding out for a cool character, but I think the Mandalorians are probably the ones that the, uh, that the diehards are going to be most curious about. Dave Filoni, Favreau's creative partner on the Mandalorian series, was the showrunner for The Clone Wars and worked alongside George Lucas during its television run. Here is his take on the importance of a character like Pre Vizsla, both to the history of Mandalore and to the animated series. Pre Vizsla, played by John Favreau, he is the 
person who's trying to maintain historic Mandalore. He is the one that's maintaining their history, the concept of the Mandalore, the one leader. And he wants to usurp Satine, and he thinks that she's a, a coward. He thinks that she's weak. Mandalore will survive. We always survive. Bo-Katan cries. After uncovering the true leader of Death Watch, Duchess Satine cries had more to worry about than pre-Vizsla. While social and political beliefs can often divide family members, in this case, those differences could mean death for the Duchess. Satine's sister, Bo-Katan Cries, was the leader of the Night Owls, an elite group of female Mandalorian fighters. The Night Owls allied themselves to the terrorist cause of Death Watch, and Bo-Katan became a lieutenant under Pre Vizsla. Bo-Katan so believed in restoring Mandalore to its martial ways that she was willing to destroy what her sister fought to establish. Vengeance Pre Vizsla's war against Satine had a stronger army behind it than Bo Katan and the Death Watch. Vizsla had been working with the Sith Lord Count Dooku and his separatist forces to kill Satine and to push the Republic to take control of Mandalore. And when Obi Wan and the Jedi thwarted his attempt, Count Dooku decided he no longer wanted to be in league with a leader he considered a failure. Pre Vizsla managed to escape after a confrontation with Dooku, but not without taking a hit from Dooku's blade across his face, leaving a long and permanent scar. And in that moment, the Darksaber became something more to Vizsla. It would be the weapon he would use to exact his vengeance and kill Count Dooku. A fateful meeting. Pre Vizsla, Bo Katan, and the rest of the Death Watch flew to the moon of Zanbar to figure out their next steps in the attack on Duchess Satine and how to kill Count Dooku. In their travels, they came upon an escape pod containing two unconscious Zabraks, a warrior species with horns on their heads and tattoo like tribal marks on their faces. Should we rub them out? No. I want to hear their story. If they're an enemy of the Jedi, then they're a friend of mine. The two unconscious creatures turned out to be none other than Savage Opress, Count Dooku's former Sith apprentice, and Savage's brother and Darth Sidious's former apprentice, Darth Maul. Maul was severely wounded, to say the least, by Obi-Wan Kenobi, years before, during the Battle of Naboo. Kenobi sliced Maul in half with his lightsaber after Maul killed his mentor, Qui-Gon Jinn. And Sidious abandoned Maul when he needed him the most, building a hatred in Maul in which he wanted to destroy both the Jedi and the Sith. But that hatred earned Maul a valuable ally. Pre Vizsla quickly realized that he and the brothers shared a common enemy in both Dooku and the Jedi. You're not Jedi. So what are you? We are Sith. Do you serve Count Dooku? I serve no one. I thought there could only be two Sith. A master and an apprentice. We are brothers. 
the true lords of the Sith. What happened to your ship? Destroyed by Jedi. Do you know which Jedi? Kenobi. Vizsla's conversation with Maul gave him the necessary information to keep the brothers alive and to work together. Our combined strength will be rewarded. Mandalore will be yours and Kenobi, this Sith pretender Dooku, and all our enemies will fall. Check on your brother. We'll put it to a vote. But Pre Vizsla was a Mandalorian. He was the Mandalore. And as a leader bent on seeking absolute power, he had no intention to share control of his planet with anyone else. Stay focused. Mandalore will soon be ours, and Maul and his brother will be dead alongside the Duchess. Maul and the Shadow Collective. We need those Sith and their thugs to cause some pain and show the Mandalorian people how weak Satine really is. After this is done, no one will doubt why we're in power. Most will welcome us. Then what? Then we execute Maul and those thugs. Those criminals will scatter and Mandalore will be ours. And if Pre Vizsla had a plan to gain power, Maul's own plan far surpassed anything Vizsla could scheme. For where Vizsla's goal was to eventually eliminate Maul and Savage and control Mandalore, Maul saw the Mandalorian's planet as merely a footstool for when the brothers Sith conquered the galaxy. And he would need to take possession of the Darksaber. But first, Maul needed an army of his own one that could take on the inhabitants of Mandalore. And so he and the Death Watch convinced a trio of criminal organizations to join their cause. The criminal group known as the Black Sun agreed to help Maul and Vizsla, along with the Pike Syndicate, who controlled the largest spice-running operation in the galaxy. The final addition was the Tatooine-based Hutt clan, led by the infamous Jabba the Hutt, Together, they formed the Shadow Collective. And once their army was in place, Maul devised an attack on Satine that would weaken the new Mandalorian movement once and for all. And it consisted of putting the Death Watch in an unusual but welcomed position by the people of Mandalore. Where are my targets? We've identified them at these locations. However, as I've said before, if we try to take Mandalore by force... Our people will turn against us. I will use my army of crime lords to attack different targets across Sindari and sow chaos to undermine the Duchess's rule. Our gangsters will make her look too weak to maintain control. Then you and your Death Watch will capture and arrest us, bringing order where Satine's weak government could not. We'll be saviors. Exactly. A good plan. Indeed. I'll prepare the troops. Maul unleashed the Shadow Collective on Sundari, the capital of Mandalore. His army overpowered the civilians and the Mandalorian peacekeepers. Duchess, the shipping docks are under attack. By whom? The Death Watch? No, it appears to be a crime syndicate. Our guards are helpless against their numbers. 
and the people are demanding we do something to stop them. Satine addressed her people, but the damage had been done. I need you all to remain calm. These attackers are just thugs brought on by the lowest element. The Duchess Satine has led us to ruin. Death Watch. Guards, stay back. Visla, you must be the one responsible for these attacks. No, I'm not responsible. But I can offer a solution. And as the rightful heir to the Darksaber, Pre Vizsla appealed to the Mandalorian's fears to gain their trust. And Maul's plan began to take shape. People of Mandalore! I am Pre Vizsla of Clan Vizsla. Death Watch is here to save you from these intergalactic gangsters that threaten our great city. This is a war. And we will win. Although the plan required Maul and his brother to be captured and imprisoned in order to make the Death Watch appear to be saviors of Mandalore, Maul knew that Pre Vizsla's lust for power would be an eventual threat to him. And when possible, Vizsla would try to undermine Maul and would lock him up to eliminate him. From the beginning, Maul had agreed to work with someone he couldn't trust and was smart enough to plan for it. His scope of vengeance and leadership stretched far beyond what Vizsla wanted or had even imagined. And so, part of Maul's plan included him being betrayed and jailed by the Death Watch and figuring a way to break out. Allowing himself to be captured, Maul and Savage soon broke free from their containment cell and located another prisoner, the crooked former Prime Minister of Mandalore, Almec. Maul shared his plan to remove Vizsla from power. How can two of you overthrow Vizsla and his supporters? Vizsla is a soldier, and like every soldier, he is bound by honor. I will challenge him to single combat in front of his men. He will not deny me. The battle for the Darksaber. With Satine no longer in charge, and with Pre Vizsla ruling from the throne, and clearly underestimating the power of a Sith Lord, Maul stormed into the throne room and challenged Vizsla to a duel to the death. I challenge you, one warrior to another, and only the strongest shall rule Mandalore. So be it. Give him his weapon. Stepping back for a moment, it's interesting to note not only what is about to happen, but why it happened the way it did. Dave Filoni, showrunner of The Clone Wars, discussed the need to make the battle between Maul and Pre Vizsla an epic one, and how the Lucasfilm team achieved it. This sword fight, that's a whole act, practically. To do it right, to make it exciting, that's, that's a whole act, because the fans of Pre Vizsla are gonna mob me at celebration in the future if, if Vizsla goes down too easily. I mean, this is not going to be a Boba Fett into the Sarlacc pit. 
is gonna unload everything he's got at Maul to try and, and win this fight. The challenge was out there to make an incredible lightsaber fight in a way that we'd never seen it before. We're mixing in concussive weapons, laser darts, all kinds <laughs> of things. And no matter what tactics and weapons Pre Vizsla used against Maul, he was no match for the former Sith apprentice. Maul disarmed Vizsla, slicing through his rocket pack and knocking the Darksaber from his hand. Weakened, Vizsla lay at the foot of his former throne, sprawled out among its small steps. Using the Force, Maul summoned the Darksaber into his hand. Igniting its blade, he stood over Pre Vizsla, who declared defeat. Like you said, only the strongest shall rule. And swinging the Darksaber downward, Maul beheaded Pre Vizsla as Bo Katan looked on in horror. I claim this sword and my rightful place as leader of Death Watch. The Mandalorian army approached their new leader and knelt, pledging their allegiance. Except. Bo-Katan and the Night Owls. In the midst of all of that, something that could not get lost is that Bo-Katan, there's no way she was going to go for this. Never! No outsider will ever rule Mandalore. Her loyalty is to pre and to Mandalore beyond even the code that they have as warriors, that she believes in Mandalore as a whole. She is a Mandalorian. She's not a Death Watch. She puts that above her own separatist group within her own people. And as their former Mandalorian allies rose and surrounded the Night Owls, pointing their blasters at them, Bo-Katan and her squad refused to relent and to bow to Maul. If you will not join me, you will all die. You're all traitors. Unfortunately for you, history will not see it that way. Execute them! Bo-Katan and the Night Owls returned fire, and taking to the air with their jetpacks, they escaped, leaving the Maul-controlled capital for good. But Bo-Katan's connection to the Darksaber isn't finished yet. In fact, her story has just begun. And if Maul wields the Mandalorian blade, how does it wind up in the possession of Moff Gideon? Tune in to part two for the rest of the story of the Darksaber. Darksaber.